passage, but stay with me here. John 21, 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish. 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Then he said to them a sec uh, him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. The word of the Lord. His name was General David Petraeus. Many of us are familiar with him, a four-star general with an impeccable record. One of only four, uh, 11 four-star generals in active service in the Army. Petraeus was the commander uh, of forces in Afghanistan. He also served as the U.S. Forces Central Commander that oversees, oversaw the Middle East, so Israel, Egypt, Syria, Palestine, all of that area. Petraeus recently uh, retired from the Army to become the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Petraeus was married to her, his uh, wife, Holly, 37 years. And by all accounts, Petraeus was exactly the sort of man that you would want to be. Faithful, strong, a true leader. But David Petraeus was also a betrayer. You see, David Petraeus was an adulterer who it was discovered was having an affair with Patricia Boswell, who was his biographer. It's also discovered, and it's still coming out, that it appears that Petraeus 
uh, gave or leaked some sensitive documents to Boswell. Documents that he was supposed to be protecting. And indeed, his relationship with Boswell may have even affected the decisions he made while he was on the job. We're still working through that. As you know, Congress has uh, been having him in sessions to talk about that. How is it possible that such a great man, such a faithful man, could make the decisions that Petraeus made? How indeed? This word betrayal, it's something we're all familiar with, isn't it? Even from the greatest to the lowest. We fear it, and it seems that the closer the person is to us, the deeper the hurt when the betrayal happens. The result of this we experience is fear and hurt, scars on our heart, either for what has been done to us or what we have done to others. When we experience betrayal, it, it makes us fear, it makes us wonder, it makes us step back. A fear to even try again, to engage in a relationship with someone else. A fear to love. A fear to be known. A fear that it might happen again. My friends, the truth of the matter is fear of betrayal is a reality in the life, this fallen world that we live in. So we have to ask the question, in the midst of the reality of betrayal, how do we love fearlessly? How do we forgive fearlessly? In the midst of the landmines of betrayal in the past of our lives and the ones that will come soon, maybe even tomorrow, how do we walk with confidence and boldness and fearlessness? See, this passage is all about how we do that. Jesus is dealing with the question of betrayal, and he's showing us how we can walk in fearlessness, even in a fearful world, when we are betrayed and when we betray. Jesus teaches us that this is the point of how one can love fearlessly. We can choose to love fearlessly and forgive those who betray us because Christ chose to fearlessly love and forgive us who betrayed Him. We're going to talk about three things as I unpack this passage. We're going to take a look at, number one, the betrayal of Peter, what it teaches us about ourselves. Then we're going to look at the confrontation of Peter, what it teaches us about the world. And finally, we're going to look at the restitution of Peter, what it teaches us about God. Because we can choose to fearlessly love and forgive those who betray us only because Christ chose to fearlessly love and forgive us who betrayed him first. Well, let's take a look at this, the betrayal of Peter. Many of us are familiar with Peter, right? He was the rambunctious disciple. He was a fisherman, just like a lot of the other guys with the sons of Zebedee. And Christ was preaching on the shore one day, and the crowds were so massive that they were literally pushing him into the water. And so he turned to this one, Simon, and he said, Can I get in your boat and put out a little bit from the shore, and I can teach the people? And so Simon said yes, and there he was, Jesus on his boat, teaching the word of God. Peter was drawn into the fellowship of these twelve disciples. He was one of the inner circle, if you will, James and John and Peter, kind of his three closest friends. It was Peter that Jesus took up on the mount where he was transfigured before them and they, had, they got to see Christ in all his glory. Indeed, Simon's name was changed by Jesus. Your name is Simon, but I will call you Petros, which means the rock. Imagine how that would feel, the rock of ages calling you the rock. Peter was a sort of unofficial leader of this ragtag band of disciples. 
But Peter was also a betrayer. If you remember on the night on the Last Supper, when Jesus talks about the fact that he is going to be betrayed this very night, Jesus says, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said empathetically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Well, we know how this goes, don't we? On the Mount of Olives, shortly thereafter, Jesus is praying. And lo and behold, here comes the band led by Judas, soldiers and people with clubs and swords. And as the disciples look at Jesus being seized, they do something we probably would have done as well. They run, maybe Peter at the head of the group. Peter's courage melts in the face of fear. And as they lead Jesus to the high priest's home, Peter is following at a distance. You know, it's interesting. He doesn't have the courage to be right next to him, walking to the high priest, but he follows him from afar. Because he has this tie, he realizes something that's happening, that's going on as he has betrayed him. And it says that he, he sat down with, uh, excuse me, they went to the high priest's office and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard, and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. See, this questioning of Jesus is going on, and it appears that they're able to hear it, that they're maybe in sight with one another. And so Peter comes into the courtyard, and a fire is kindled, and Peter sits down with the soldiers and with the enemies who are discussing what is going to happen to this one who calls himself the Christ. And a servant girl... Seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. Think about this, a servant girl, not educated, not powerful, who points her finger at Peter. And what does Peter say? He denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And then finally, after the interval of about an hour, Still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, blankety blank, I'm telling you, effing, I don't know this guy. And then the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Can you think what it looked like to turn and to see Jesus staring at his face? Knowing that all he had claimed to be, he had repudiated in front of everyone. Jesus, who had maybe one, two people in the crowd who were for him. And Peter, his strongest disciple, walking away, leaving Jesus alone. Now, why did Peter betray Jesus? Why did he betray anyone? The answer is simple, self-interest. We care more about ourselves than those who are around us, even those that we love. You know, we have a long history of betrayal. Humanity does. This isn't the first time we've betrayed God, is it? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Follow my commands. Do not eat from this tree. Live. Do what I'm telling you to do. And of course, Adam and Eve denied him. 
And the story of humanity is one long history of betrayal after betrayal after betrayal. Cain and Abel, the Israelites and the Canaanites, nation against nation, even now in the Middle East we see it being played out again and again and again. See, the foundation of all relationships is trust. And the relationship that we have with God undergirds all the relationships we have with everyone else. See, it's easy for us to look at Peter and say, you know what, if I had been there, I wouldn't have done that. If I was there in the garden, I wouldn't have done that. But friends, I'm here to tell you, you're kidding yourself. See, we're all betrayers, whether we want to admit it or not. Because God says, this is the way you're supposed to live regarding me, and we have it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Have we done that? You shall have no other gods but me. You, you shall not bow down or worship any other idol because I am the one true God. Anyone who looks at his brother with hatred, it is as if he murdered him. See, when we take a look at the commands of God and how God commands us to live in this relationship with trust, we realize that we come up short. We're all betrayers. All betrayers. You know, I remember as a kid that uh, I was in second grade and uh, I had a friend of mine, his name was David Kessler. Okay, we went to school together and there was a homework assignment that was due. I had done it, David Kessler hadn't. And so before it was time to go in and give the assignment, David said to me, I haven't done this assignment. Let me take a look at yours so I can get the answers. There was a vague sense of unease in my little heart that said, this isn't right. But David was my friend and I certainly didn't want to lose him. And so I allowed David to copy the answers on my homework before we turned it in. Well, it wasn't long before the teacher pulled us both aside. The homework was too similar. You know, isn't it interesting we think we can put one over on those above us? But the truth always comes out sooner or later. And as this man uh, talked with us, thankfully, graciously, I realized what was going on, why my heart was so hardened and bitter. See, I not only betrayed the school, but I had betrayed myself. See, we like to think that Peter's first betrayal was of Jesus. His first betrayal, the first lie was of Jesus, but it wasn't. His first betrayal was of himself. His first lie was of himself. Because when Jesus said, I tell you, all of you will fall away, did Peter respond, oh Lord, help me. Did he look to Jesus? No, he said, I'm not going to do it. I will be faithful, even if everyone doesn't. He was too confident, and we are too. See, we think we're above betrayal, but we're not. We have been unfaithful. And the truth of the matter is that we're just like Peter. We're lying to ourselves if we don't think that we will betray. Now, what does that mean? Why is this so important, this first part? Because we have to understand when someone has betrayed us, or we have betrayed other people, that we're not all that different from them. I'm certainly not in any way excusing the things that we have done to other people, or the things that have been put on us, some of which are horrible and bitter. Everyone will answer, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord, either forgiveness or vengeance. But what I'm trying to get us to do is to understand whoever this person is. To understand that we too are betrayers. Because it's only when we look at them and understand ourselves that we're able to even think about being fearless in our love and forgiveness.
So I want to move then on, not only to that, but I want to talk about the confrontation. Okay, the story isn't over, is it? It's the Lord. And what does Peter do? He throws himself into the sea. You know, it's very interesting. If you look at John 20, the end of John 20, it's like John is wrapping up the story. This is what it says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not, not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Stop. End of story. End of book. No, it's not. There's one more chapter. It's as if God is saying, oh, there's one more thing I need to do. I need to talk to Peter. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Strange thing to do, you know? Why is Peter going fishing? You know, when we betray someone else, we start to lose our identity. And so what do we do? We go back to the things that we always knew. Peter's reverting back to who he was. I'm going fishing. And here's this guy on the side of the water. Have you any fish? No. Throw down your net on the other side. And lo and behold, there's the catch. 153 fish, large ones. You know, many scholars have debated why the number 153? Is it because when you add them in one particular, and you, you look in the Greek language and you add them up, they make a certain number? Or does it have to do with all sorts of different elements? And I think I know the answer to this. The reason there were 153 fish was because there was 153 fish. <laughs> Powerful, isn't it, you know? That's it, 153 fish. What happens? It's the Lord. See, the Lord is taking the disciples and Peter back to the beginning, isn't he? They're remembering the first time when Jesus sent Peter out into the waters for a catch. He's bringing them back. And so Peter does something crazy. He throws himself into the sea. I don't know if you've ever done that. You see someone you like and you simply throw yourself <laughs> overboard. He grabs his clothes and he throws overboard. Because he's been kind of in a loincloth or something fishing all night. It says he was stripped down. Now, why did Peter do this? Here's the only thing I can think of as I process this. I think he did it because of fear, and I think he did it because of hope. See, there's something that happens when we're ashamed before God, isn't it? We want to cover up. Remember Adam and Eve? They were naked and they were ashamed after they had betrayed God. And so, as Peter is looking at Jesus, he feels the shame of having betrayed him. He jumps in the water. He's covering himself. But yes, there's also hope, because Peter starts swimming to the shore, afraid to be seen, and yet at the same time, afraid not to hope that maybe there's a chance of reconciliation with this one who he's betrayed. And so Jesus and the rest come on shore. And there is Jesus with a charcoal fire and fish and bread, looking at Peter. You know, it's very interesting. There's only one other place in the entire New Testament where a charcoal fire is mentioned in the Greek. It's where the fire was kindled, that Peter was sitting in the high priest's house, looking at Jesus' trial. See, Peter is looking over the charcoal fire at, the fire at Jesus, denying him. But here's Jesus over the charcoal fire, saying, Come and eat and fellowship with me. Jesus' response was not denial, but faithfulness. And there's already fish on the grill. Why is Jesus telling them to catch fish when there's already fish on the grill? See, the catch of the fish is just for them to remember who he is. But as they come and they sit, 
Jesus takes the bread and the fish and he distributes it. The language is almost identical to Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 on the mount. See, Jesus is communicating that my grace is sufficient and will overwhelm and be more than you ever need. You see, what the disciples need is not food. They need grace. For they've all denied Christ. And Christ serves it up in a bounty. You know, forgiveness costs, doesn't it? There's a cost to forgiveness. We want to be so glib about it. It's so easy to take care of. But no, forgiveness always costs. There's a little dying inside of you when you choose to forgive someone. So how is it that Christ can acknowledge? How is it that Christ can forgive? It's because of the cross that he's paid the penalty. He in himself has taken their sin and he has replaced it with his love. Maybe some of you have heard the story of Betty Smythe. Her view hadn't changed for 49 years until she was paroled this August. You see, she was the longest serving inmate in the U.S. correctional system. 49 years until August of this year. Smythe, who was 69, was convicted in 1963 of killing a baby girl and has spent more time behind bars than any female convict in the United States. This was when Smythe was a 20-year-old babysitter and killed young Sandy Gerbrick on the first day of 1963. It was discovered that uh, Smythe herself, Betty, had a horrible childhood, growing up in foster homes and being repeatedly abused. Well, she was put in prison without uh, without any chance of parole, which has changed, thankfully, by the governor. But it was in 1983, 20 years later, that Betty Smythe's life changed. See, Betty Smythe was locked up in a prison of concrete, but she was also locked in the prison of betrayal. But Betty Smythe got a letter from Emma Simmons, Emma Gerberich Simmons. Dear Betty, it has been almost 20 years since my baby daughter died. I have thought of you often in these years, not with hate, as you may think, but with sadness, for I forgave you many years ago. Since I have come to know the Lord, I felt I should write and tell you that I forgive you. I'm sending you this Bible in the hope that it will bring you peace and hope. May the Lord bless you and give you peace and the strength to know that Jesus loves you very much and is always there when you need him. Emma Gerbeck Simmons. According to Smiley, she decided to change her life after receiving a letter from her. She made me feel I wasn't a monster. I felt if she could forgive me for taking her child's life, I could forgive myself. It was my responsibility to try to become a better person than I was. How was it able that Irma was able to write this letter? It was the love of Christ that set her free, that ultimately set both of them free. Forgiveness, my friends, costs, and we want to hold on to the outstanding balance, maybe even collect interest on it, as we, like a miser, keep it to ourselves. But Jesus Christ has paid the bill on the cross. Jesus Christ gives us the ability to love and forgive fearlessly, because he is faithful even when we are faithless. Isaiah 103 tells us this, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, 
He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. And he does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The cross is the ultimate expression of forgiveness and love. And as betrayal of God is the ultimate source of unfaithfulness, so redemption by God is the source of all faithfulness. See, the cross is simply death and betrayal working backwards. So how about you and me? Are you a Betty Smythe? Maybe you've betrayed someone. You've cheated on your spouse. You've been unfaithful and abandoned your kids. Maybe you had that abortion when you were younger and scared. And you can't forgive yourself for the betrayals in your life. You're locked in a prison, just like Emma Simmons. But you see, Christ is your Emma Simmons. She's the, he's the one who reaches into your heart and says, you may have betrayed, but I love you. And I have paid the price. And I want to restore you with my fearless love. Maybe you're more like Jesus in that courtyard. That your friends have deserted you in your deepest time of need. That when you needed that person to be for you, they were nowhere to be found. How can you forgive them? It's Christ gives us the love and the forgiveness because he did that to us. And because of his love, we can understand that we were never alone. That God was always with us and God will give us the strength to forgive when we don't want to. And so we must confront. As Jesus confronted the disciples, we must confront our fears. We must confront the understanding that we can't be forgiven. We must confront the fear of going to confront them. Because it's only after we confront others, our fears, that we can confront others. For some of us, we have some confronting to do. Maybe it's simply in our hearts, forgiving a person that we need to forgive right here. Maybe it's actually in person going to someone or writing them a letter and saying, you know what, I betrayed you and I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Or going to that person that foisted that betrayal upon you and saying, you know what, what you did to me was rotten. And I forgive you. See, I love what Jesus does here. He doesn't gloss over the betrayal, does he? The charcoal fire is right there. But Jesus looks with love, even in the midst of betrayal. We can choose to fearlessly love and forgive those who betray us. Because Christ chose to fearlessly love and forgive us who betrayed him. Well, the story's not over. We've seen the confrontation, but I, Jesus goes even further. Because what Jesus is interested in is not only confrontation, but restitution. I love this picture of the disciples. They're all sitting around eating fish and bread with a leisurely breakfast. You know, one of the things I love about this story is it's not rushed. Reconciliation is never rushed. It's in its own proper time. But after the meal, I can see Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, let's take a walk. How do I know they were taking a walk? Because another disciple was following them. So as they're walking along the Sea of Galilee, just shoulder to shoulder, Jesus says, Simon, Son of God, 
son of John, do you truly love me more than these? You know, it's interesting. He didn't call him Peter, did he? He called him by his original name, Simon. And he said, do you truly love me more than these? An exact mirror of Peter before who said, even if all fall away, I will not. And Simon says, you know that I love you. But he doesn't say more than these, does he? Simon understands who he is. But Jesus continues, Simon, do you love me more than these? You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. See, Jesus is saying to him, Simon, who do you want to be? I've forgiven you, but I want to restore you to the person that I called you to be. Peter, the rock, not the fisherman, but the fisher of men. <coughs> so who do you want to be? Simon, a third time, do you love me more than these? And Simon was grieved because Jesus had asked him the third time. Jesus, you know I love you. Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. You see, as three times Peter denied Christ, so three times Christ is giving Peter the opportunity to affirm him. See, as Peter went down, Jesus is lifting him up, giving that chance to right what was wrong and to accept the forgiveness of the Lord. And does, Jesus not only affirms what Peter is saying, but he, he gives him back his role. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Feed my people. Jesus is not only interested in forgiveness, but restitution. And Peter responds. But there are some who don't respond. You know, it's interesting that there were really two different people that are keyed up in the, in the scriptures that betrayed Christ. One was Peter, and the other was Judas. But how they responded to their betrayal could not be greater than night and day. Peter, falling repenting and loving. And Judas, unwilling to come to grips with the person he was, in sorrow, going out and hanging himself. We have an opportunity for Christ to accept his forgiveness and to fearlessly love and forgive in return. The question is, what will we do? Some of you may know the story of Ruby Bridges. She was a hero in the Civil Rights Movement. I don't know if you've ever seen that Norman Rockwell picture of a little black girl going to school, surrounded by U.S. Marshals. See, Ruby Bridges was in the Deep South, right when the court order came for desegregation. And they chose only four kids that year, colored kids, to go to school. Two in one school, no, actually three in one school, and one in another, all alone. And so Ruby Bridge, Bridges was enrolled in William France Elementary School. And there was mass rebellion. The parents were enraged and incensed that a black child would come into their white school. And so they disenrolled. Teachers refused to teach. That very first day, the U.S. Marshals showed up, and there were 12 of them to help walk Ruby Bridges through angry crowds who were shouting insults. But there was one who did not run. Her name was Barbara Henry. A white woman teacher. The only one who consented to teach this little child. And Ruby Bridges shares about the love of Barbara Henry. Sitting next to her in our classroom, just the two of us, I was able to forget the world outside. She made school fun. We did everything together in this little classroom, just her and I. 
I couldn't go out in the schoolyard for recess, so right in that room, right in that room, we played games, and for exercise, we did jumping jacks to music. They were all white, and so was my teacher, who couldn't have been any different from them. She was one of the most loving people I had ever known. The greatest lesson I learned that year in Mrs. Henry's class was the lesson Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. tried to teach us all. Never judge people by the color of their skin. God makes each one of us unique in ways that go much, much deeper. Barbara Henry said once she was watching Ruby Bridges walking to school through this crowd of angry people, and she saw Ruby Bridges' lips moving. And as Ruby Bridges came into the classroom, Barbara said, I saw your lips moving. What were you saying? I couldn't make it out. Ruby said, I wasn't talking to them. I was praying for them. Usually I prayed in the car on the way to school, but that day I'd forgotten until I was in the crowd. Please be with me, I asked God, and be with those people too. Forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. See, it's the fearless love of someone that gives us the power to fearlessly love and forgive those around us. The only fearless love that we can have is the one that comes from the fearless one. So do you carry bitterness in your heart, either toward those who have betrayed you, or maybe you carry shame and anger and distrust because you have betrayed? Jesus Christ is there for you. When everybody runs away, there's Barbara Henry, who consents to be with us when all fail. See, Jesus wanted reconciliation, and he received it with Peter. I wish I could say to you that as you go fearlessly with love and forgiveness to people, that those relationships will be reconciled. I wish I could say to you that you will never experience betrayal in your life again. But I can't say that, can I? And neither can you. We can only respond and decide how we are to live in this broken and fractured world. Whether from its ways or from the love of Christ. So my encouragement to you is whatever's going on inside of your heart, to accept the love and forgiveness of Christ first. To be filled with his love and his courage and his fearlessness. For only then will you have the power to wade into betrayal and to fearlessly love and forgive as well. We can choose to fearlessly love and forgive those who betray us, my friends. Only because Christ chose first to fearlessly love and forgive us who betrayed him. Praise God, what a great Savior. Let us pray. Lord, though all fall away, I will never. Lord, we're so often like Peter. We claim our allegiance to you, Lord, but we're shallow. We turn at the greatest sight of fear. We inflict hard. Uh, pain and hatred upon other people. We experience it from others. And we wonder, is there any love and forgiveness in this world? And the answer is yes. Forgiveness costs, but you paid the ultimate price. And through accepting your love and forgiveness of us sinners and betrayers, we can have the grace and power to do those with us around us. By your grace, Lord, let us be a church that does that. Let us be a people that do that, Lord. That you may be glorified and all may see that you truly are the Savior of the world. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.